Thank you. They've been missing for 45 years until an astonishing discovery. Nine episodes of Doctor Who, which haven't been seen since they were originally broadcast, have been tracked down to a dusty shelf in a warehouse in Nigeria. And now they have been restored, which means some of the pictures you're about to see are being shown on television this morning for the first time since the late 1960s. We've been here so long. Yes, of course we will, Victoria. You see, whatever's holding us must let go sometime. Doctor! The scanner is clearing! The BBC destroyed the original transmission tapes of a huge number of early episodes in the 60s and 70s, but now nine, featuring the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton, have been found. Fraser Hines and Deborah Watling played Troughton's companions. When I first saw it today, on the big screen, after 45 years, it was quite emotional. But then I was riveted. After about five minutes, I thought, actually, I haven't seen that story since it went out live. Mm. 45 years ago, that was quite scary. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, episode 26, broadcast in mid-June 2020. Today, we tackle controversy with missing Doctor Who episodes as collectibles. We also have collection protection, how to protect those films if you're the ones holding them, and an outrageous offer of a Santaran Empire tragedy. That and more upcoming on this episode. And now... Here's Fraser Hines. Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the world of Doctor Who collecting, Doctor Who collectors, protection of your collectibles, and Doctor Who-related merchandise. Happy to present our 26th episode. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I've been collecting Doctor Who since 1981. I opened the first store dedicated to Doctor Who in 1984 in Chicago called Bundles from Britain. We are famous for our catalog that came out in 1985 with the hand-drawn artwork. A copy of that catalog now is in the Doctor Who Memorabilia Museum in England. We're also mentioned in a great book called Red, White, and Who, the Story of Doctor Who in America. It's from ATB Publishing, and you can find that book anywhere you buy your books. And we live on page 384. To make it easy to buy this book, we placed a link on the front page of our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com to purchase it through Amazon. A portion of those proceeds do benefit the podcast. Our theme song is Who's Doctor Who? Composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by Fraser Hines, who played Jamie McCrimmon in 117 Doctor Who episodes. The longest-running character and friend of the podcast. Consider becoming a friend of the podcast. You can support us on our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. You can also support us on Podbean at doctorwhocollectors.podbean.com. And you can go back to our website and shop for your favorite Doctor Who items at doctorwhocollectors.com. Clicking on the Amazon link will not change the price of the product, but a portion of that price will be back to the podcast. 
You can hear this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including Podbean. We are a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, and you can find many other great Doctor Who podcasts at DoctorWhoPodcastAlliance.org. I want to talk quickly about a new podcast called Police Box in a Junkyard, where a random Doctor Who story will be discussed by a panel of guests. And on the premiere episode, I am very happy to say I was asked to be a part of that, and so I am a guest on the premiere episode where we talk about the Sunmakers. It is hosted by friend of the podcast, Eric Golbranson, and you can find that podcast on SoundCloud. We have collection protection, our featured story, and the most outrageous offer coming up. There is no plot. I am being completely honest with you. And now the main story. Today is a very controversial episode, but I'm going to talk about the ultimate collectible. Not a rare book or action figure, not a prop or a toy. I am talking about lost Doctor Who episodes that have not been shared with the BBC and the world. I want to start by saying that we have a lot to thank for private collectors in the world of lost Doctor Who episodes. When the destruction of Doctor Who episodes was happening from 1972 and possibly earlier, some film and two-inch videotape copies found their way into the hands of private collectors. Most of these collectors are not particularly Doctor Who fans. Um, Their value, and I put that in quotes, arose when it was discovered that many episodes were wiped out and no backup copies were made. This was probably the biggest disaster in communications at the BBC. Um, long before home video was an option, and before the rise of Doctor Who fandom in the late 70s. But I want to point out here, we have to thank private collectors for the following episodes that were returned. The Reign of Terror Part 6, The Crusade Part 1, Galaxy 4 Part 3, The Daleks Master Plan Part 2, the War Machines Part 2, which I will say was the first William Hartnell episode I ever saw. The Underwater Menace Part 2. The Faceless Ones Part 3. The Evil of the Daleks Part 2. The Abominable Snowmen Part 2. The Wheel in Space Part 3. And Invasion of the Dinosaurs Part 1, which was called Invasion in Black and White. In addition to complete episodes, private collectors have also been able to provide the following short clips. Roughly 10 seconds of The Reign of Terror, Parts 4 and 5. 5 minutes and 23 seconds of Galaxy 4, Part 1. From 5 to 21 seconds of The Myth Makers, Parts 1 to 4. From 58 seconds to a minute and 43 seconds of The Daleks Master Plans, Parts 1, 3, and 4. From 3 to 43 seconds of The Savages, Parts 3 and 4, and the regeneration scene from 10th Planet, Part 4, considered a major find. 24 to 35 seconds of The Power of the Daleks, Parts 1 and 2. 52 seconds from The Macro Terror, Part 3. 3 seconds from The Faceless Ones, Part 2. 3 seconds from The Evil of the Daleks, Part 7. And 6 seconds from The Wheel of Space, Part 5. So again, These private collectors are considered heroes. They returned the material and got to keep the original film. So we have a lot to be thankful for. More on this after the break. 
Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafry. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collector's Podcast. Enjoy your travels. So... Are there any more lost Doctor Who episodes to be found? Well, after a lot of research, according to Philip Morris, who is a media recovery specialist for Doctor Who, he has said on the record that he knows that six episodes are held by private collectors in Australia. He said he's going to wait it out and hopefully they will come to light. He declined to name the collectors or the episodes. There are a lot of rumors flying about that. I want to also point out that there have been many hoaxes and unsubstantiated rumors, including a private collector who said they had part two of Power of the Daleks without the opening titles back in 1990. Turned out to be untrue. Another collector said they had all four parts of the Macra Terror. Well, since we just had the animated release, we also know that that turned out to be a hoax. There's also the tale of Darren Gregory, who claimed to have Marco Polo, Galaxy 4, and the Daleks Master Plan. He ghosted the would-be collectors by not showing up when his victims showed up with money or other items to swap. So he basically told people, meet me in a place, and I'll swap the episode for whatever you got, and it turned out to be somebody having a game. Roger K. Barrett, on the other hand, actually spoke with Mark Gaddis about having a videotape copy of Tenth Planet Part 4, which is extremely sought after. The BBC even paid 500 pounds ahead of time to convert it, and when the tape arrived, it was blank. Unfortunately, this area of collecting is a very slippery slope. Credibility is going to be a big part of any collector who may have any Doctor Who episode that, a, that is missing from the archive. That is an episode that we do not have. Will the missing six from Down Under be seen? Do they even exist? What are they even worth? All good questions. I can't even fathom an answer. I can only say that if I had a film copy of a lost Doctor Who episode. I would love to have my name and photo included in a Doctor Who magazine as a hero who returned a lost episode. The original films, by the way, were always returned to the collectors. The film is the artifact and the collectible. The content still belongs to the BBC and should be shared with the Doctor Who world. This has always been a very controversial topic. I do not advocate the collecting of missing Doctor Who films or videotapes. I do feel that they belong to the fans and the masses. The film itself is an artifact which would be greatly coveted by serious collectors. The greater good would be to premiere this lost episode at a Doctor Who convention or a TV or streaming event before releasing it to DVD or Blu-ray. I can be comforted that animation will probably be the only way we will see the entire run of Doctor Who from 1963 to 1969. I am personally thankful to the collectors who did return missing episodes and the foreign TV stations that returned many episodes that were supposed to be destroyed. My home PBS station in Chicago actually contributed by returning color copies of John Pertwee episodes and 
most famously a comic book store owner, Larry Charette, returned some videotape copies of Color John Pertwee episodes that he taped from Chicago TV on Betamax. I remember in uh, TARDIS 22 in Chicago was the first time we saw uh, the Doctor Who and the Crotons, which was um, kept by the British Film Institute and was shown as part of the five faces of Doctor Who, so it wasn't completely destroyed. And that was the first time Patrick Troughton had been seen in Chicago. I want to share what other collectors, I posted the very topic onto the Doctor Who Collectors Facebook page, and I want to read some of the comments that other collectors have shared about this. Uh, Tristan Fanning says, one, by, one on hand, they are historical artifacts and should be returned for the public good. On the other hand, they have the rights to keep them, especially if they are copies they made themselves. And it's the BBC's fault for wiping in the first place. There is no right answer. Chris DeLuca writes, I, am, I always worry that the people hoarding them aren't taking care of them properly, and they will get destroyed and no one will be able to see them again. It's a valid point. Uh, Dallas Aspinall writes, Whilst I understand it's selfish to have to oneself at the end of the day, if the BBC destroyed it, they did give up all rights to it. If you throw something away and another person sells it on, they can't claim the money from it as it's no longer theirs. And realistically, if someone was to have a transfer copy, they could upload the episode without sound and they could make money from it as the BBC can't actually prove they own it as they don't have a copy and it wasn't stolen. Unless it was the BBC engineers, heroes to us, thieves to the BBC. Good comment. Anthony Wood writes, if it wasn't for collectors, we wouldn't have Evil Adults Part 2 or The Crusade Part 1, etc., as I mentioned earlier. We know six episodes are in collector collector's hands, which we also reported. So hopefully we will get to see them one day. I'm always hopeful. Me too, Anthony. Thank you for your comment. And uh, pardon if I mispronounce this name, but Eluidus Pagan writes, I do wish that as a collector that they would also understand how important these are to others. Just as I have made trades or just plain straight retail prices for items I have had that have had transactions with other true collectors, I've even given rare expensive eBay market target books that I have duplicates of because I bought them from where they were cheap and not looking to make a profit from. I just want to help other collectors. That's a very noble thought, and I always appreciate that. Please continue the discussion on the Doctor Who Collectors Club on Facebook. Uh, if you go there, uh, just search for Doctor Who Collectors Club. And while you're on Facebook, if you're a Facebook user, uh, follow us at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast on Facebook. Just add podcast after that search engine. You'll find us. I just also want to say that absolutely I can certify that myself or the podcast or those that help me produce this podcast, we do not own or possess any missing Doctor Who episodes. I do remember getting a videotape back in 1984 that held the War Machines Part 2, a really bad copy of it, and the War Games Part 10, which was the first time anything had been submitted around the United States. And these were what I call camera copies. And it was made by somebody owning a PAL VHS machine and a PAL TV, which is the system they use in England, and using power converters. And then they would use a VHS camera, NTSC, which is the 
North American format, and putting the camera in front of the TV, producing this flickering effect because the the timing wasn't quite the same. And so it was a very difficult thing to watch back in the day, but it was the only way we could see some of these rare Doctor Who episodes. So my message out there to the six collectors who are probably not listening to this podcast, but if somebody knows these collectors, just say that we do support your right to own the films. Please share them with the BBC. They will make sure you get your films back. Thank you for listening. Sad, Red, isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things, and other people come along and break them. Collection protection. Today, I want, keeping in topic, I want to talk about the long-term storage of film. So I want to address not just the collectors out there that collect Doctor Who-related um, films, like the Peter Cushing 8mm films, which are, um, which are out there. And, uh, and, you know, sadly, we don't own any in the uh, Who room, but... Um, they have to be taken care of and, and cared for. So I want to address the individuals or individual or whoever owns the six missing episodes that we talked about in the main story, how to take care of those films so that one day when you decide, well, yeah, maybe it's time to share it with the world, um, that they're still usable. So I want to talk about some information that I've got from the National Film Institute. Um, the correct preparation of film prior to long-term storage is one of the most significant steps that can be made in film pre preservation. Incorrect preparation will accelerate the rate of base decomposition in cellulose, nitrate, and acetate films, and can lead to blocking in both cellulose and polyester-based films. Films should be stored either in a on a suitable core or reel with an adequate length of leader attached to the head and tail. The film's identification information should be permanently written on the leader. Film cores make a convenient center for the film that enables the film to be placed on winding equipment and other film transport mechanisms without damage to the film at the center of the reel. Film cores are specific to the format. If, for example, 35mm cores for 35mm film, smaller gauges for 16 or 8mm may be stored on projection reels. It is not good practice to use adhesive tape to secure the film to the core for any reason. Not only are there concerns over the suitability of the adhesive, but the sudden shock when the film is unwound and reaches the end could cause cinching. The film core size plays a significant role in some forms of curl that develop during long-term storage. A larger diameter core, either 75 or 100 millimeters, will reduce the effect of cold flow curling. The small 50 millimeter cores can be used, although they are not recommended. Cold flow curling occurs when the film-based polymer adjusts to a new shape over a long period of time. In the instance of film, the base will take on the curve of the film reel. The smaller the diameter, the tighter the curl effect. Cellulose triacetate, triacetate is faster to react to cold flow curl than polyester. However, cellulose triacetate is also faster to reverse the curl. The cold flow curl in polyester film is referred to as core set, and core set can be reversed over time. However, it does create handling issues. If a film has developed this curl, then rewind the film in the opposite direction around the core. Uh, for example, if the film was originally wound emulsion in, then rewind the film emulsion out. 
The materials that core is made for, from is very important. Whatever is used must not harm the film in the short or longer term. Uh, in general, a safe plastic is most suitable. Cardboard and wood should never be used. A uh, film leader, by the way, is a short section of film that should be attached to the end of each of a, the end of the film, from the beginning and the end. Some types of unprocessed film, known as cream leader, because of their light color, are suitable. The leader provides a convenient location to write identification information about the carrier. The leader also provides a degree of protection for the film during winding and other handling. Uh, painted leader is also available for this purpose. However, this often becomes powdery over time and deposits the paint as a dust, which may cause scratching and alter the film. Therefore, the dust needs to be cleaned away before the film can be used. Also, unless the exact composition of the pigments and carrier of the paint is known, there is a risk that these will harm the film, especially the image, in some way. Along with storage temperature and relative humidity, wind tension plays a significant role in the rate of decomposition of cellulose-based films. This is, by the way, is also true for some reel-to-reel -reel audio tape. The correct wind tension allows greater diffusion of de decomposition gases from the film during storage, which in turn has an effect in reducing the rate of decomposition. The ideal wind tension is referred to as a preservation wind. For long-term storage, films should be evenly wound to a tension whereby they can hold their shape in a pack. Too loose and the pack can distort and the core may drop out while handling. However, the film should not be so loose that it can move easily against itself during normal return to storage handling. This tension is really a compromise between so loose that damage can occur if the film is moved and so tight that the decomposition gases cannot readily diffuse from the film. To hold the film in the correct wind tension, a small piece of photographically safe adhesive tape can be used to secure the end of the leader. Now this is important that it's not scotch tape. This is photographically safe tape that I believe you can get from professional grade film providers. During normal use, films are exposed to a wide variety of dirts and soils. Projector oils and greases from fingers build up on the surface over time. Many of these are acidic or become acidic and can accelerate dye fade and silver image oxidation. It is possible that they even may have effect on base decomposition. Film should not be stored in a plastic or paper bag. Plastic bags will trap decomposition gases and this will accelerate decomposition. Unless Kodak's acid scavenger molecular sieve is used, which is recommended to enclose the film and the sieve together in a plastic bag inside the can, paper bags are a, sort of, are a source of acids and dust and all similar packaging, such as newspapers that may have been used to prevent the film from moving around during transport, must also be removed. Rubber bands must be removed from the films before storage. These can decompose and release sulfur compounds that will damage the silver or dye image. In extreme cases, the band will decompose into a soft mass that will run inside the film and requires a large effort to remove it completely. Film splicing tape or other tape that has passed the photographic activity test can be used to secure the loose end of the leader. Any other tapes, including unknown tapes holding sections of the film together inside the film pack, should be removed and replaced with splicing tape known to be safe or the film should be cement spliced. Any paper objects, 
such as grading or timing charts, loans information, invoices, must be removed before the film is sent for storage. Any such documentation should be noted and stored in an acid-free envelope with the film ID information clearly written on it. Similar entries should be made in the cataloging system so that the two objects can be linked together in the future. Uh, some form of enclosure is useful for storing a film, not only for the degree of protection, uh, but for also affixing identifying labels, and this would be the film can. Traditionally, motion picture film has been stored in a film can made from either steel, coated or uncoated, aluminum, or some type of plastic. The rigid barrier formed by the film can provide um, some protection against physical abrasion, dust, and larger vermin. Yes, I just said vermin. Uh, can also provide some short-term protection from water and may slow down the rate of diffusion of pollutants from the environment. Cans buffer the effects of the outside environment to create microclimate within. The buffering can slow down rapid changes in temperature and absolute moisture content of the air within the can. Any identifying labels should be placed on the outside of the can. No other material should be placed inside the can, in particular paper and especially paper printed with ink. Very important. So this should be, this is really important as far as the storage orientation. For long-term storage, films must be stored horizontally. This evens the weight of the film over the whole surface area and the side of the film pack. Horizontal orientation also ensures that the tension of the film is even throughout the film pack. Access materials are often stored vertically usually because of space restrictions. However, this is not ideal from a preservation point of view. Same thing applies though to, to vinyl records um, and reel-to-reel and -reel audio tapes, you know, horizontal storage. Um, a company that really, really excels in these materials is Pell Products, and they're located in England. You can find them at preservationequipment.com. They are the leader in film preservation materials. They are not a sponsor of this podcast, but I found them after a lot of research into different places. Um, if our private collectors are listening, and I doubt they are, but if they do catch wind of this podcast, please take care to preserve them in case one day you come to an epiphany and decide uh, to become heroes and return the content to the BBC so the whole world can enjoy them while you retain ownership of the film itself. They do have all the cores and the highly rated film cans that I mentioned to store film for long-term preservation. They will also work for your home movies of old. Uh, they have 8, 16, and 32 millimeter materials. This will also help if you happen to be a Doctor Who collector who collects the Peter Cushing movies that were released on Super 8 film. Uh, the original boxes are nice, but you might want to preserve the boxes themselves in plastic and move the film to much greater materials. Uh, that has been Collection Protection. If you have any collection protection stories, tips, or anything you'd like to share with us, you can email us at doctorwhocollectorspodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to our website at doctorwhocollectors.com and use the form for communication. The money to be paid from your private purse. Ah! You spank. It's time for the most outrageous offer, and today it was shared by someone who did not wish to be named. But it is quite an interesting, uh, <laughs> it's always interesting when I get these. Anyway, this is a copy of Doctor Who and the Sontaran Experiment on DVD, which is not uncommon. 
Uh, however, an eBay seller, uh, which I'm going to not name, but he has 100%, or he or she, I should say, has 100% positive feedback, 946 reviews, but is selling a copy of the NTSC, which is the North American version of Story 77 DVD of the, of the Santaran Experiment, which is a two-part Tom Baker story, one of uh, actually one of my favorite stories in the Tom Baker era. Uh, the price is $925. That's a buy it now price. It is not an auction. Um, it also recruits free shipping. So interesting that. And also they're offering uh, a, a credit buy here for $42 for 24 months. So interesting. I, I just want to share my own thing here that there's um, there are other sellers selling this DVD for $11 or up to up to twenty dollars, which is a little more reasonable. I, I bought this DVD at a Barnes and Noble not a year ago. It was on clearance for nine ninety nine, sealed, um, and so it it just seems crazy. Uh, Amazon.com has it for twenty dollars. I'm not even sure why it would be listed for nine hundred twenty five dollars. That just seems a bit outrageous to me. So. The ruling here is that it will never sell at $925. If you know of a item of Doctor Who that is being offered at a ridiculous price, and we'll do the research on it, we'll make sure that the price is right. And uh, you can email that to us at Podcast at gmail.com. Share the link. And uh, we will share it here on the podcast. If you would like to be named, let us know. If you would not, we will respect that. Uh, I do not call out sellers on this platform any longer because that has caused problems in the past. So we want to keep things uh, honest. Of course, everybody has a right to sell stuff at their price. However, you have the right not to buy it. Uh, remember, whenever you're shopping for Doctor Who items, do your research. Check multiple sources, multiple sites, or join us on the Doctor Who Collectors Club on Facebook. That's the Doctor Who Collectors Club. And professional collectors will help you out and give you great advice on how to avoid these pitfalls. This was the most outrageous offer. Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. Some final words. Um... This topic of missing Doctor Who episodes is a very controversial topic and gets a lot of people upset. It gets people riled up. It gets people excited. And, uh, you know, just it's a really, really difficult um, area. And I honestly, I do respect people who collect film and especially who are holding episodes, not just of Doctor Who, but other episodes that were wiped from the BBC and, you know, we would like to encourage you to please return the material. They will return your film to you. That has been done numerous times. That is their standard practice. I did reach out to the BBC, but they did not reply back in time for this podcast. If they do respond, I will bring up a, an update in a future episode um, as far as what their official policy is. And uh, as far as we know, according to the research, as I said in the main story, six episodes are out there that we know of. Um, there may be more. Um, there may be people out there not saying that they have something. And it would be nice to see a complete run of Doctor Who. I'm losing hope that it will ever happen, uh, except through the wonder of animation. And I do recommend the animation uh, episodes as a, as a way of watching these wonderful stories. 
Um, I'm going to close out here with another uh, audio clip of a story about missing Doctor Who. So thanks again for listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Since it began in 1963, there have been over 700 Doctor Who episodes in which the Doctor pitted his Time Lord wits against the evil forces of the universe and beyond. But in the 70s, financial pressures forced a clear-out of the BBC vaults, and many Doctor Who classics were lost. Or were they? Great chunks of my past, detaching themselves like melting icebergs. Do something. Help him. Oh, no. No, don't look so worried. I'll have it all worked out soon. Everything's all right. Everything's quite all right. Today, 110 episodes officially do not exist. It represents a very, very sorry state of British television. The words do not exist. It's just material that was deemed non-marketable, was worthless and was just thrown away into a skip and then incinerated. Or videotape was wiped. It's, I think it's disgusting personally. Record producer Ian Levine has devoted his life to recovering missing episodes and dreams of a day when every last one is back at the BBC. Back in 1978, when we were looking for Doctor Who episodes, there was a rumour going around that there were loads of them held by BBC Enterprises. Finally, I arranged for someone from the BBC to take me down to see what was there. I walked in and I saw this first Dalek story about to be jumped, and I felt a mixture of both horror and elation. I think the horror took over, so I threw an absolute fit. And he found out the woman at BBC Enterprises who was in charge of destroying these prints. And we went running into her office and she says, yeah, no one wants them, they're just all black and white prints. And I got really agitated and I said, I want them. I've just got clearance from the BBC to buy these episodes and suddenly here I am and they're being destroyed. Exterminate! Annihilate! Destroy! That is the way that things were done in those days, I'm afraid. Doctor Who fans are obsessive and there is a refusal to accept the fact that some of these episodes don't exist and will not turn up. You always hear the phrase, somewhere it's got to be out there. It's as if by wishing so hard you can will it into existence. But there is a chance that copies sold around the world do still exist. I single-handedly turned up 35 missing episodes over the years that wouldn't exist if I hadn't found them. I've spent hours and hours and hours on the phone ringing all over the world Sorry, to all corners of the globe trying to chase Doctor Who episodes. Nigeria, Cyprus, the Ascension Islands, New Zealand. One phone bill alone came in at £4,000. 40? Oh, my God, this is too much to hope for. Oh, oh. Look, tell me slowly, what's the next... Oh. I'm to anything you can suggest, Doctor. This is urgent. Good heavens, it's appalling. Well, you stay at the end of the phone, I'll be back to you. The world of Doctor Who is very, very rife with rumours. All these kind of uh, subterfuge and counterplots going on. You get people who just phone anonymously and people who just say they've got this, got that, and they don't keep appointments. Full of hoaxes. There are a vast amount of hoaxes. Driving halfway up the country to meet people and they never even turned up. That sort of thing. The best analogy would be like uh, a spy series. Doctor Who is big money. 
believe me, it is big money. There are people like me who would, well, kill to see this stuff again. But there is one episode every Doctor Who fan wants to recover. The final part of Tenth Planet, first shown in 1966. A few seconds do exist. A classic scene where the Doctor regenerates for the first time. But the rest uh, dematerialized in 1973. However, rumours are rife that somewhere that episode does exist. Some friends of mine started getting letters from a character calling himself Roger K. Barrett and who was willing to sell the episode to them for £500 was the initial asking price. He, he became more and more greedy, asked for £800. He just wanted the money. Eventually they contacted me and asked me to help. So I tried to get hold of this character too and I'm afraid I was strung along like everyone else. He sent me what he claimed was a recording of the programme. It turned out to be completely blank. Um, he said he'd destroyed the original film. Roger Barrett never had the Tenth Planet Part Four. This was all one big hoax. And they fell for it, hook, line and sinker. Roger Barrett does not exist. Oh, dear. Well, never mind, I, I'm sure he'll turn up again. Once you think something exists and then you find out it doesn't, it's worse than not knowing it existed in the first place. And the absolute, utter depths of despair when we found out that it was just a blank tape and it was all a hoax, you've no idea what it felt like. If I could get hold of this Roger Barrett, I think I'd just grab hold of him by the scruff of his neck and choke him until I found out why he'd misled everybody. What kind of idiot does he take us all for? I wish I could get hold of him. You will be annihilated! Will nothing deter these fans? There are 110 episodes still missing. The search continues. I believe that 10.4 does exist. I believe the vast majority of Doctor Who episodes exist, which can be prized out of the relevant hands for huge sums of money. I do believe it exists out there, but I don't know where. Sad, really, isn't it? People spend all their time making nice things and other people come along and break them. <laughs> <laughs>